0: Okay, here we are, day 10 of the war on Ukraine, and I hate to break it to you, but Russia is winning this war, hands down. The media is like pretending like this is not the reality, but let's face it. Russia's winning big. If a ceasefire would be declared tomorrow, if all the sanctions would be lifted, and trust me, that's what would happen if there were a ceasefire, if they divide Ukraine in, like, and give Russia even a third of the country, and they annex that third, that is a huge win for Russia. Not to mention the fact that the price of oil is spiking. Putin, through this war, has caused the price of oil to spike. He's still selling oil to the West. To the United States, this war is going on and we are sitting there buying billions of dollars worth of oil from Putin. How does that make any sense? So Putin, this war has literally made him richer. That oil has gone from $70 a barrel because of this war to $115 a barrel may go as high as 150 So Putin's getting very rich unless Putin retreats, which is not going to happen Any outcome is a huge win for Russia. We need to face that reality. Ukraine is in shambles right now. The country is in a total upheaval. There are no supplies. There's no food. They don't have, I mean, they're cutting off the electricity. Russia has control of the nuclear power facilities. So this is a nightmare scenario. The best case scenario that I can envision from here on in. Huge win for Russia. Devastation for Ukraine. Ukraine's putting up a fight. I'm not, I'm not taking away from that in any way. We are hosted on the VIN News Podcast Network, and we will dedicate this episode to a full analysis of where things stand on the war in Ukraine. I've got to tell you, I've been having a tough... I've been looking every which place. I've been following multiple sources here, piecing it all together, because it's like a puzzle. Everybody's got like one little narrow piece of the puzzle, but nobody's really seeing the big picture, so we're going to try to do that. In our next episode, of course, we will cover all the other news of the day, including the State of the Union address and much more. So here are the three key things you need to know. Before we dive into the details... The three key things you need to know. Number one, Russia has stepped up its attacks. This is now a full scale invasion. Number two, Russia's military strategy has, they have totally, totally revamped their strategy. It is now way more successful than it was the first few days of this invasion, number three, the U.S. is doing pitifully in terms of supporting Ukraine and choking off Russia. They could be doing so much more, infinitely more. Don't buy into the bogus narrative of Jen Psaki, of Joe Biden, of the mainstream media that somehow we are crushing Russia. We are not. The U.S. has been pitifully weak in terms of support. And Zelensky has been been screaming about that. And he's right. So, number one, Russia Full-scale invasion, they are decimating Ukrainian cities, they are targeting civilians, they are literally blowing up these huge residential buildings, they are targeting hospitals, they're targeting healthcare workers, as I said, they have taken over nuclear plants. The largest nuclear power plant in Europe is now controlled by Russia, and they're gaining control over the large cities, which is something that was a challenge for them uh and now russia is getting ready to carpet bomb a lot of these ukrainian cities something they have not done but we knew they were going to they did it in syria they they did it in chechnya they ha- so 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 they've taken over two nuclear facilities and they're about to take over a third nuclear facility that is not good as i said number 2 the military strategy has gotten much tighter, much better, more successful. They're isolating Ukraine. The Russian strategy right now is to isolate Ukraine, cut off Ukraine from the rest of the world, cut off the supply chain, cut off the routes by land and by sea by which Ukraine was receiving very, very crucial supplies, very crucial weapons, very crucial humanitarian aid and humanitarian supplies. The Russians are cutting them off, isolating them, which is terrifying. And the Russians are exerting more air superiority, dominating the airspace, which again was a big struggle for them in the beginning. The Russians are creating a land bridge. I'm going to explain all of this because uh, General Jack Keane, he's one of the few experts that I have seen who actually re- sees the whole picture. He's, he, he's got a lot of uh, information that nobody else seems to have uh, looking at the entire map, looking at each region and what the Russian strategy is, what's working, what's not. So we'll get into those details. But the Russians are now creating a land bridge between Crimea and Ukraine, which is crucial um, for Russia because Crimea is controlled by Russia. So if they have a, a free flow, a supply chain between Crimea and Ukraine, southern Ukraine, that is a huge win for the Russians. The Russians are using airspace to support their ground troops, which was another struggle for them. They've cut off electricity. They've cut off basic supplies in many cities. And number three, the U.S. is doing a pitiful job in terms of giving Ukraine the support they need, the weapons they need. And here's what you wonder. Let me just say this to President Biden. Which side are you on? What outcome does President Biden actually want? Well, of course, doesn't Biden want the Ukrainians to win? Putin's the bad guy. The Ukrainians are, not that the Ukrainians are the nicest people in the world, but Ukrainians in this scenario are clearly an ally of the United States of NATO, so who does Biden want to win? I don't think it's so simple at all, frankly, because think about it, I wonder if Biden wants Putin to to win quickly and bring an end to this conflict. The longer this conflict drags out, the worse it is for the world economy, the worse it is for the U.S. economy. You got the markets tanking, you got inflation and oil surging out of control. So this is bad for Biden. The longer this drags out, it's bad for Biden. How does it end quickly? If Ukraine wins, it will take months for Ukraine to win and force Putin to retreat. If, if Putin wins, it could happen in a matter of days or weeks. So you really have to wonder what is Biden's true agenda. It would be Disgraceful if Biden actually wants Putin to win because obviously, you know Putin is building an evil empire here. All right, coming up, full analysis of the war and yes, it's a it's a great underdog story. As much as I'm saying that Russia's winning, Russia's winning big time, but. that doesn't take away from this incredible narrative the underdog story here with the Ukrainians putting up a fight. I mean, the Ukrainians scratching and clawing, giving out thousands and thousands of rifles to Ukrainian civilians who are just going and fighting, standing in front of tanks. They're the underdog. It's an insurgency. They don't have nearly the firepower, nearly the artillery, or even the manpower that the Russians have, and yet they are fighting for their lives. They're willing to, like, literally risk their lives and, and and even sacrifice their lives for the sake of putting up this incredible resistance russian troops are getting slaughtered like nobody imagined i mean the the uh, 10, th- reports are 10,000 russian troops have been killed by ukrainians i believe that's possible even if it's not look each side's going to inflate and exaggerate the numbers that's par for the course but even if it's like half of that i mean that's still devastating to the Russians, but but here's my problem: the media is acting as though well, the Ukrainians are putting up a fight, and Zelensky's he's in a bunker, and they can't get Zelensky. They've sent so many assassins to try to get Zelensky, and they have failed, and they have been the the, the assassins themselves have been thwarted, have been killed. But the media is acting as though well, it's evenly matched between the Ukrainians and the Russians. Because look, the Ukrainians have so much heart and so much fight in them that they're somehow managing to even the score. It is not evenly matched. The cold reality is. The Russians are really obliterating Ukraine, and it's not even close. And as I said, Biden's doing way too little. So, as I said, the ele- what's the elephant in the room here? Does Biden want the good guy to win or the bad guy to 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 to, to win? If, if Ukraine resists and put up this resistance, that drags on for months. If they surrender, if Ukraine surrenders, then this thing's over in a matter of days. I ha- happen to believe that this week. Kiev may fall. That's my prediction that Kiev is going to fall this week and that they will surrender Kiev. And at that point, there'll be there'll, there'll be a ceasefire talk or something like that negotiations. But um, obviously, if the Russians take control of Kiev, then that's going to be a game changer here. But um, the U.S. economy is tanking. And, you know, Marco Rubio, he said that that Vladimir Putin can't keep keep this up long term. Senator Marco Rubio, who's had a lot of great points here about this war, he says, listen, Putin cannot keep it up for long. He says if there's some kind of occupation and there's a resistance and an insurgency, Putin's going to struggle. He doesn't have the money. He doesn't have the manpower. He simply cannot take control and uh, run Ukraine as a police state. And I disagree with Marco Rubio in the sense that I don't fully disagree, but nobody knows. You know, if Rubio thinks, well, he knows. He knows Putin just doesn't have the money. I mean, Putin, Putin could be getting billions of dollars from China. Putin right now is. He and China have a very, very tight knit relationship. China is desperate to see Putin succeed because they're ready to pounce on Taiwan. And you got the price of oil skyrocketing. So, as I said, that's also helping Putin. Putin right now, he's still selling us. Now, they're talking about. Um, stopping, banning the sale, uh, the import of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Russian oil, Russian natural gas. But like, they're just talking. They are literally talking. Blinken says they're having active discussions about banning the import of Russian oil and natural gas into the United States. So uh, uh, he, uh, uh, that's his quote on Sunday, an active, dis- we're having active discussions. We've been engaged in discussions, active discussions. Uh, about potentially banning the import of Russian oil and natural gas we don't want discussions let me just say this to anthony blinken the secretary of state enough discussions all it is is discussion we have a talk and we have discussions and we're considering and we're thinking and we're we're, we're conferencing and we're having phone calls and it's like a bunch of nonsense it's a it, it is so it is so frustrating that all they do, it's just bluster, it's just talk, and Zelensky, a lot of people are, are, are just so frustrated at this, tearing their hair out, well, we have to have meetings and talks and conferences and yada yada. No, you don't. Just ban the imports. Why on earth are we paying Russia hundreds of millions of dollars for barrels of oil and for natural gas? And they are invading Ukraine and they are uh, literally targeting civilians causing the deaths of thousands and thousands of innocent women and children. It's just, it's just incomprehensible. It is inexcusable that we are paying them all this money while this whole thing is going on. And while we're having active, well, we're having active discussions, it's not like we're just ignoring the idea that we're spending all these millions on barrels of oil from this bitter enemy, this evil, evil empire. I mean, are you nuts? Like, just cut it off. Cut off the oil. That should have been the first thing that you did. We want you to do something. And if they do ban Russian oil, that would be a game changer. So let's get into the specifics here. Russia is now possibly about to engage in carpet bombing. Russia has been targeting civilians, and the Ukrainian citizens are under siege. This is the first time. Until now, it has not been a siege. It has not been, like, literally, like, just trying to decimate one city after the next it, it was kind of like they were invading on the outskirts and they were just trying to gain air control and now they are moving in they have been they have been trying they have been leveling these huge residential buildings they want to demolish the cities just like they did with Syria and set chechnya the russians these are brutal brutal tactics the russians are using brutal tactics they are easily committing war crimes and russia has finally captured its first large city that is Kherson, 300,000 people uh, live in residents live in the city of Kherson and now the Russians have taken that over that's a key location why so this Kherson this is at the south of Ukraine and is, lo- it, is it is a seaport it is located right by the Black Sea and that is a key strategic location because number 1 as i mentioned The Russians are trying to cut off any access the Ukrainians have to seaports because they don't want them to be able to receive supplies delivered via the sea, which is going to be one of the main ways the Russians could pretty easily – cut off supply routes that come from out of the country by land, because there's Russian troops all over the land in Ukraine. So uh, uh, one of the big ways that Ukraine could obtain weapons and supplies is through the sea. But now that they've taken Kyrgyzstan and they're focusing on other uh, taking control over other Ukrainian cities that are in the south by the sea, so that could be devastating to Ukraine because, again, cutting off Ukraine from any possible supply routes any possible ways of uh, uh, of importing supplies and uh, and weapons from other countries so that's why Kherson is such a big deal in addition it is near Crimea which is all part of Russia's strategy in the south to cut off Ukraine not only from access to seaports but also to link Crimea with troops in Ukraine to create a Supply chain, because again, they've had a lot of logistical problems, a lot of supply chain problems. So the Russians have control over Crimea, of course. They annexed it back in 2014 under Obama. So what they want to do is they want to have a direct land route um, where they can uh, essentially send supplies and send convoys from Crimea, where there's a huge Russian presence. Uh, directly by land uh, into, into Ukraine and meet up with Russian troops in Ukraine. So that land route is crucial. Kherson is crucial to the Russian strategy. I'm going to explain more of this when we get to the quotes from General Jack Keane. Now, in addition, Russia has ramped up its aerial assault. So analysts say that what's, what Russia is doing is they are prepping for the ground, a massive ground offensive in Ukraine cities and they're trying to destroy as much infrastructure as possible by air in order to enable the ground assault to be easier because the more damage they can do from the air prior to the ground invasion the the easier the ground invasion will be number 1 it devastates morale but number 2 you know it causes the infrastructure of the city to you know to really crumble and that of course for obvious reasons, makes the ground invasion much, much easier. So this is something that they struggled with in the beginning. Right now, the Russians have surrounded Kiev. Right now, the Russians, they literally have cut off exits and entrances uh, into and out of Kiev. uh, In addition to Kharkov, there are a bunch of cities right now where the Russians have literally surrounded the city and cut off any exits so people can't leave the city. People cannot enter the city. They're waiting to invade. They're waiting to pounce on those cities. Meanwhile, you have the Russians who are now dominating a lot of the airspace, and they are attacking critical infrastructure. They're taking out electricity, taking out water supplies, and uh, and, and and they're decimating, literally leveling, civilian buildings, hospitals, you know, all sorts of crucial infrastructure. And that's going to make the ground invasion much much easier. So that is something that uh, the Russians had trouble with. In the beginning. So what they're, and I'm gonna to get to Marupol in a minute, because Marupol is a very, very crucial city as well. But, uh, according to one expert, um, one thing that the Russians have done in the last several days is they've directly shelled major cities, and especially Kharkiv. And that, that's a very, another very crucial city. And that's not something that they did early on. And they, and, and they've done the same thing. Marupol, Marupol right now is, is, has been just totally, totally Decimated and almost obliterated, and there's a major crisis because people cannot evacuate. In addition to shelling, Russia is also trying to cut off resources to key cities. So, Maripol is a perfect example. Let me explain what's happening in Maripol because this is getting a lot of attention right now. Russia has has made the conditions in Maripol completely brutal, completely inhuman, and hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians are trying to escape and flee and evacuate Maripol, but The Russians are not allowing them to leave. So this is really catastrophic. Maropol is a city of over 400,000 Ukrainian residents. The conditions there right now are brutal, inhuman. They're just unthinkable conditions. Why? Because for several days, the Russians have shut off, cut off water, heat, and electricity. Residents of Maropol have no access to water, heat, and electricity because the Russians... Bombarded those grids, those, those those supplies, that infrastructure. So they have no access to heat, water, electricity, basic human supplies. They they can't survive it very long without it. According to one expert, military analyst Rita Cornet of, of Georgetown University, the urban areas of Maripol they rely. It's a very fragile grid, the the electric grid and the grid system of vital utilities, including water and heat. They are dependent, it's very fragile. So they're dependent on like every little pipe to work properly. Basically, it's so fragile if you damn, this is according to a quote from her if you damage one pipe, then that could literally cut off the entire system of water access or heating for thousands of people. One pipe. One pipe damage, I mean, in New York, in, in, in the United States, in any city, you damage one pipe, okay, big deal. There's a million workarounds. There's a million ways to bypass it. But here, it's such a fragile system in terms of water heating system that uh, the utility systems where you damage one pipe and that's it. Thousands of people now literally cannot access water. So R- Russia's destruction where they're damaging hundreds of pipes, thousands of pipelines, that could literally affect – Millions, millions of people. So the only option now is to escape and flee the region. So, Konayev, this reader Konayev, this expert says it, it'll be devastating because it's going to depend on whether they're going to allow the humanitarian corridor, where people are allowed to leave, how they're going to be treating those movements. Essentially, now, if the Russians, there's not that many ways to flee that city. So if the Russians decide to prevent these residents from fleeing the city, then they're stuck. They're stranded in a city with no water. No heat and no electricity. This is horrific stuff here. Some of it's being reported by the mainstream media, but not enough. And by the way, they arranged a ceasefire. The Ukrainians and the Russians negotiated a ceasefire just in that area so that the Russians could allow the Ukrainians to evacuate the city of Maripol. But twice the Russians have broken it. The Russians promised that they would allow... A free escape, a clear escape route, and then, uh, then they interfered, and then they prevented them from leaving. That happened twice already, and that's being reported again by the mainstream media and, uh, the AP. As I said, the Russians are heavily targeting civilians. They're targeting ambulances. These are, this is all documented. They're targeting hospitals. They're targeting healthcare workers. Um, That's Russia's M.O. That's how they operate. Meanwhile, the Russians have made significant headway. We told you about Kherson, which the Russians have officially taken control of. Now they've made significant headway in Kharkiv and in Maropol, as we mentioned. The Russians have captured the largest nuclear power plant in Europe. That is the Zaporizhia facility that happened on Friday and Russian of Russian forces are trying to move in on Odessa and Odessa is another port city in the southwest so what they do is they keep they keep grabbing these port port cities the, the 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 only access the Ukrainians have to the sea which is crucial those port cities the only access is to the south and the Russians have been very very strong in taking control or at least uh, mostly occupying and controlling those cities and again according to Rita Konaev uh, Russia's evolving military tactics underscore, underscore a new direction here. They, she says, quote, the Russians' new approach to urban warfare very much emphasizes priming and prepping the ground for any sort of ground operation with destruction from the air. And it, and so it, what's interesting, as we said, in the beginning, the Russians, they were not dominating the airspace properly. And that impacted their ability to invade on the ground. But here's what's happening now. The Russians have stepped up their aerial attacks. So, the destruction from the air is much more devastating than it was. What does that do? It's designed to to, to to totally crush the morale of the Ukrainians. In addition, it causes significant damage to the infrastructure of cities, and it causes high levels of displacement from the city. This is all according to this expert, Rito Kaneev. So the air campaign and air dominance right now is vital to Russian strategy, and they have really learned their lesson from their earlier mistakes, and have really stepped it up. Meanwhile, as I said, Russian forces have already seized two Ukrainian power plant, nuclear power plants, advancing toward a third. And in a call with senators, U.S. senators, Vladimir Zelensky, president of Ukraine, urged and begged the senators to do more. I mean, so this is really, really devastating. Now, when the Russians uh, seized the Zaporizhia nuclear plant, um, that's in a southeastern city, right? There was a massive fire, and there was concern about radiation. The IAEA said that there were no radiation spikes detected. Um, they said that uh, the Russians hit a training center nearby, but not one of the actual nuclear reactors. Now, I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm not questioning that, that, that report, that there was no detection of radiation. However, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical because it always seems like when there's a nuclear power plant that is hit, uh, somehow, conveniently, most of the time, and hopefully this is true, but, ho- but but very often they say there's no detection of radiation. Now, obviously, if, there, if there'd be a de- radiation uh, detected, uh, some sort of nuclear leak, right, that would be. Very, very terrifying, and you know there'd be nuclear fallout, and that would actually obviously cause mass panic and, and, and mass chaos, and there'd be so many people fleeing in all sorts of directions. You know, so they don't want any sort of major crisis where they're going to get you know lead to mass panic. So you know, remember after Ground Zero after nine eleven, you know the 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 the, the, the Authorities, the EPA and the authorities insisted that, uh, it, it, it was safe, that there were no toxic fumes. And of course we know that, that that was a lie. Whether they knew they were lying or whether they just were misinformed and totally incompetent, it doesn't matter. Either way, their reports were, don't worry, you don't have to worry, there are no toxic fumes. And it turns out that, uh, people who worked there in ground zero doing the cleanup, it, it led to many, many health problems, many, many deaths. It was really very devastating. So, you know, so I take that kind of thing with a grain of salt. Now here's the question what can the United States do? The United States is not doing enough. Well, what more could the United States do without engaging directly in the Russia you know against the Russian troops? Well, it's very simple. The, Russia, the United States can do a whole lot. Ukrainian ambassador to the US, Oksana Markarova, she says that Ukraine is running out of javelins and anti aircraft stinger missiles, and she has requested that the United States they've got to keep loading Ukraine up. With these Stinger missiles, anti-aircraft missiles, and with the Javelins, they run out of those so quickly, and those have been very brutalizing the Russian army. Um, in addition, from an economic standpoint, the United States could expand the number of blanks, banks that have been blacklisted from the Swift banking system. I believe it's 80% of banks were cut off from the Swift banking system. Well, that leaves 20% of banks. Putin controls all the banks. So that's a lot of banks that Putin, you know, can still, Use the Swift banking system with. So that's a joke. You've got to. You've got to literally cut cut off every single Russian bank from the Swift. Banking system, and not to mention, as I said, no more imports from Russia of Russian oil and of natural gas, which that has not been targeted by the earlier round of sanctions. It's egregious to. Well, they're having talks. I mean, Blinken said they're having active talks. We're really talking very hard. You should see how hard we're talking. We concentrate so hard on these talks about banning the import of Russian. Oil and Russian natural gas—that would be devastating. That would be almost a death blow to Putin if they would stop those imports. But we have yet to see it happen, and it's—it's—it's it, it, it's unfathomable. It is incomprehensible that, that that was not the first thing that they did the minute the invasion happened. In addition, they can perform special ops. This is a very big deal because the United States has so much access to intel, to cla- to classified intel, um, that they have that they, that they have that they can gain through satellites and through other means of studying the you know the Russian troop movements. So basically the US can help create an insurgency done by the Ukrainians. And again, the US it could be a shadow war, a proxy war, just by providing intelligence. The United States needs to squeeze Putin. They need to essentially make the Russians want to assassinate or overthrow Putin. This is what Lindsey Graham said. This is the end game. Right now you need to crush Putin because Putin right now, he's in very, very hot water. This is this war is not going as the Russians anticipated. I know I keep saying the Russians have a major edge. They do. I think the Russians are winning big time. But Putin, I believe, is in, his, in the weakest position he has been in in over 20 years where there are many, many Russians who are wondering, what have we gotten ourselves into here? 10,000 Russian troops dead and more are getting killed every single day. So, is it really worth it? They're questioning Putin. Putin. You know, a lot of people are wondering maybe Putin's day is done. Maybe the man's gone off the deep end. <clears throat> maybe it's time to overthrow him or assassinate him. So, the United States has to seize, they have to leverage that. Where Putin is the weakest he has been, arguably, in 20 years, they need to make this so painful for Putin. And Lindsey Graham said it. Lindsey Graham said, we need the Russians, and, and you gotta offer a bounty. You gotta offer money, a reward, but we need the Russians from within to assassinate Putin and make it painful. I mean that's what Reagan did in the 1980s to the to the Soviet Union and it worked wonders. So you need to pounce, you need to play hardball, you can't let Putin get away with this. Zelensky on the call with US senators, he he criticized NATO for refusing to impose an no-fly zone over his uh, over his country over over Ukraine. And here's what Zelensky said. He said that uh the lack of an no-fly zone will allow Russia to escalate its air attack and its air dominance big time. He said, quote, all the people who die from this day forward will also die because of you. He was talking to U.S. senators. NATO has said that if there's a no-fly zone, that would essentially lead to World War III because to enforce the no-fly zone, um, you'd basically need American and NATO airplanes and aircraft to engage and shoot down Russian aircraft to fly over Ukrainian airspace. So you can understand the other side of it there, but like a no-fly zone would completely devastate and hamper the the Russians all right Maripol I mentioned I said I would get into this a little bit more. Maripol is an extremely strategic location, and the Russians are desperate to take control over it because it's on the seaport it's on, it is Ukraine's major trading port so it would cut off Ukraine's access to key supplies that can come via the sea in addition um, the Maripol is a key city on the land route between Russia and Crimea. so very strategic for Russia to take control over, it, to take control over the southeast part of Ukraine, they need to have Maripol. That's why they have literally been, they, they've been de- decimating, decimating Maripol, basically carpet bombing it. Catastrophic scenes in Maripol of civilian casualties, women and children who have been killed and severely wounded. And they're desperately trying to evacuate. But as I said earlier, the Russians are not allowing them. ...to evacuate. And uh, here's a report from the AP. The AP, which they rarely do this, get get this graphic, but the AP witnessed doctors who made unsuccessful attempts to save the lives of wounded children um, in, in Maripol Meanwhile, pharmacies have run bare. Hundreds of thousands of people have faced food and water shortages and there is freezing weather. And as I said, they don't have access to heat in many cases. And uh, the Maripol mayor on television said thousands of residents gathered for safe passage out of the city. However, even though the Russians claim that they're allowing the citizens of Maripol, the residents of Maripol, to uh, to escape and uh, allow them evacuation routes, however, the Ukraine, the Ukrainians say it's not true. The Ukrainians say that so far twice the Russians have breached that ceasefire agreement and uh, have reneged on it and have not allowed uh, residents to flee Maripol, which is terrifying. As I said, the, the, it's inhuman. The the, the the conditions in Maripol right now are people are living in just unbearable, unthinkable, deadly conditions. Now, as I said, what, what outcome does Biden want? I don't know. This could be a disease. If, if, if this thing drags out for months, as we would hope it would, We look, we'd hope Ukraine would force Russia to, to retreat quickly and to surrender quickly. Unlikely that's going to happen. If Ukraine surrenders quickly, then Russia takes over a big chunk of Ukraine, and the, the the bad guys win, the good guys lose, and and Putin has just become much stronger, much more dangerous, and has much more leverage. So, what outcome does Biden want? Uh, you know, if this thing drags on for months and months and months. That's not good for Biden. It's not good for Biden politically. However, if it drags on for months, that means that the Ukrainians are resisting. And that's clearly the best case scenario for the world at large and for, you know, really crushing Putin and, and, and possibly uh, enabling the downfall of Putin. But again, is the downfall of Putin bad for Biden politically because it's going to cause havoc around the world, cause the markets to tank, cause inflation to skyrocket, cause the U.S. economy to be in even worse shape than it's been, and that makes Biden look bad politically. It's egregious to me if Biden would choose his you know, his political career over uh, the chance to possibly hurt and crush Vladimir Putin. All right, now let's get to General Jack Keene. He essentially said he really broke down the strategy, uh, and it's really fascinating because a lot of this is being unreported. There are two separate wars. He basically broke it down. There are two separate wars. Russia against Ukraine. There's a war in the north and the war in the south. The war in the south is succeeding. The Russians have taken uh, you know Kherson. The Russians have surrounded Mariupol. Those are all in the south. The Russians have taken a bunch of ports or at least have surrounded a bunch of port cities in the south uh to prevent the import of supplies into Ukraine and they're cutting Ukraine off from the sea. In addition, like I said, the land bridge between Crimea and uh Ukraine goes through the south. Now, interesting, why has the South, we'll get to the North in a moment, why has the attack on the South been so much more successful than the attack on the North? So I, I haven't heard anybody else make this point. Jack Keene says, it's very simple, he says that the the Russian, the strongest Russian troops have been on the Crimea-Russian border. The Russian troops in Crimea, they're the ones, they undergo training military exercises together all the time. They've been prepping for this war for months. Essentially, there's two different divisions of the Russian military, there's the, 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 the division that that's based in Crimea, and they're on the Crimean-Russian border, and that's a very large unit, the very large division has tons and tons of units, and they train together, they've been training together for months and years, they have been prepping for this invasion forever. Then you have, and they're the ones who invaded the south. Then the ones, the, the troops who invaded the north, they're from the far east of Russia. He called them a hodgepodge, General Keane. He essentially said they have not worked together. They have not, they, they haven't, they don't have a coordinated effort. That's why the logistics have been so bad. That's why the, uh, supply chain has been so bad because they said, they essentially don't know what they're doing. They're amateurs. They haven't trained for this. They haven't trained for, to, for this together. They haven't drilled for this. They haven't, uh, coordinated this effort. It's just a hodgepodge of just a bunch of different, like, groups of uh, 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 of of uh, of troops who are much more amateur and 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 who were simply were unprepared and they're the ones who invaded the north so that 's why The uh, invasions against the south of Ukraine have been much more successful and much more coordinated and uh, much better logistics. And the the invasions of the north have been been failures for the most part. They're getting better now, but they've been failures because it's two different groups. And one of them has been training for this for months and has worked together. And the other one, they just kind of threw together and said, here, go for it, you know, with really no plan, no coordination. So in the north, the operations have stalled. They still have not been able to infiltrate Kiev. Uh, there are now three convoys, and they're all shaky, and two Russian generals have been killed, of course. 10,000 Russian troops uh, allegedly have been killed, and even if it's the number is three-quarters or half of that, it's still a massive, massive amount of casualties. Now, as far as the generals being killed, interesting, Jack Keene says... And Jack Keane is a is a former retired general. He's, uh, he, he, he's uh, a he's a four star general, 37 years in the military, and now he literally runs a military think tank um, in Washington D.C. And he says the fact that two generals were Russian generals were killed, which the Ukrainians, you know, were trying to showcase that, is a very big deal. He says it's not really significant because no no general is indispensable. But he does say that he did say that. Uh, the convoys in the north, you know, because they've had supply chain issues, because they ran out of fuel, because they don't have the weapons they need, he says that um, they're essentially sitting ducks. They're just sitting there on the road. They're sitting ducks. Now, Jack Keen says the U.S. could have used or could use intel to help the Ukrainians attack the Russians. Essentially, the Russians, all the resupplying is being done on the ground the, the, in terms of the Russian resupplying their troops around Kiev and other areas in the north um, by, by, by delivering... Uh, supplies on the ground through, through, with tanks and and and, and with other uh, ground vehicles. So the U.S. could basically scout out where the Russian convoy deliveries are happening of supplies, and the and, and the U.S. could then secretly tell Ukraine, "Here's where you go." You know, they, they do these covert ops, conduct covert ops. And, um, and tell them, here, here's how, here's where you go to basically cut off the supplies. So the U.S. is not engaging themselves. The U.S. is just telling Ukraine, giving them crucial intel to be able to interfere with the Russian supply chain. In addition, the United States can conduct covert airdrops because, um, pin, and pinpointed airdrops where they literally provide supplies. Because as we said, the Russians are going to be able to cut off land, uh, supplies that are delivered by land, supplies that are delivered by sea. So what does that leave you? It leaves you with airdrops. But, you know, the United States is going to have to conduct these covert operations, which is risky, as uh, as the general said, because essentially uh, the Russians could interpret that if they discover that the United States is doing these airdrops, they could view that as an act of aggression, an act of war. I mean, Putin already said that if there's a no-fly zone, he'll view that as an act of war. Putin's, like, basically threatening any any involvement the United States has will be construed as an act of war. So you don't want that to be detective. Jack Keene criticized the Biden people. He says they're being too timid, too risk averse. He wants to see some spine. So essentially, Biden is weak. Biden is cowardly. Biden simply does not want to engage Putin in any way. He almost rather this thing drag out than do all the... There are so many options the United States can do secretly, you know, as a proxy war, where they're loading up Ukraine with weapons, loading up Ukraine with intel, and basically helping the Ukrainians ambush the Russians, carry out a major insurgency, airdrop tons and tons of supplies and weapons on Ukraine, and and yet Biden, he's afraid, it seems, to do any of these things. And and, and you wonder why. He's afraid of Putin retaliating, and maybe, as I said, it sounds nefarious, maybe Biden wants the Russians to win this thing quickly. If this were Trump, I have no doubt that a, a, a lot of the Russians would have been obliterated by now. That's going to do it for today as we give you this full analysis of day 10 of the war in Ukraine, and we will see you next time.